Welcome to the Metaphysical Martini Show, where wit and wisdom come together to bridge the gap between the spirit realm and the physical world. With Ani Avedisian, the Mad Shaman, a production of CosmicReality.com. Hello everyone, I'm Arnie Avedisian. Welcome to Metaphysical Martini. Three parts spirit, one part rational mind. Add two drops of optimism, give it all a good hard shake and pour, dress it with the olives of grace and empathy, sit back, sip slowly, and contemplate the wonders of cosmic co-creation. And a hearty hello to everyone out there. Hello, hello, hello. Thanks for joining me for yet another round of yummy cocktails on this week's Metaphysical Martini, the show that tries to sort out what's true, don da da don what's a woo, don da da don and what gets flushed down the loo in today's insane, profane, functional game the sociopaths are trying for mask mandates once again. The cabal's foundations are shaking woo, as the people are awakening. We are in the realms of the ridiculous, but the white hats, they are being meticulous. Oh, sad little world, sorry little world, filled with worry, bizarre little world. But never mind, darlings, because as always, we try to do this with as much dignity and decorum as can be mustered on any given day. Now, we are not always successful, I will admit to that, but we are honor bound to give it our best shot. And on this show, the Metaphysical Martini Show, we do love the odd shot now and then. Yes, we do. In fact, my darlings, let me take a sip of today's drinky poo and let's see if it's a winner or a sinner. Hold on, hold on. Mm. Sipping is happening. Hold on. Hmm. Mm. Ooh. Mm-hmm. That is <clears throat> much better than I thought. Well, you know, and why not? Because on this show, this is where top-notch distilled spirits meet the Holy Spirit. And I can tell you that is a lovely combination saintly almost well we'll talk more about the drink towards the end of the show because there won't be any of it left by the end of the show and i'll know all about it if you are joining us for the first time be advised this show is politically incorrect so as not to erode the intellect martini heads prefer common courtesy common decency and common sense over crt or pick your own gender, or the movement to identify as an indigenous squirrel with a nut allergy. We are right-minded people, and that is not a political statement. What we mean is we are in our right minds. We are spirit-centered patriots who believe America has a sacred purpose, and we are dedicated to restoring the Republic, and we will do whatever it takes to overthrow the Luciferian minions pushing for a post-human society under one world government. So if your heart doesn't sing, 
Trumpety, 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 we want you back. Or if it doesn't sing, RFK, hey, 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 thanks for your courage and leading the way. Well, this show probably isn't for you, but thanks for tuning in. You know, darlings, it's always a good day, always a good day, always a good day and always a good idea to listen to all sides of a story. And that story, or the one that's being written today, it's sovereignty over slavery. So choose well or live with the consequences. And I can tell you the consequences are hell. So let's not go there. On today's show, we will answer a mountain of emails relating to the Great Awakening. And the Great Awakening, of course, is the chaos we are currently experiencing. We have a great many newly awakened citizens. Those who have seen through the carefully presented propaganda. Well, my darlings, I honour you and welcome to the world of Earthcraft. Many of those fine folks, the newly awakened, they are now in a state of shock. And my advice to them is this. Go out and meet your local conspiracy theorist because you will need them to explain to you who runs the world, how it's run and why. They'll catch you up. Conspiracy theorist, by the way, is a derogatory term. It was coined by the CIA, and the CIA is not a part of America proper, but part of deep state machinery. So it was coined by the CIA to marginalize free thinkers. What is a free thinker? Well, I will tell you. If you go to the dictionary, it will say something along the lines of, one who has rejected authority and dogma, especially in religious thinking, in favor of rational inquiry and speculation. One who is not guided in the formation of his beliefs by obedience to authority, but submits the claims of authority to reason as the ultimate arbiter. Definition number two. One who is not guided in the formation of his beliefs by obedience to authority, but submits the claims of authority to reason as the ultimate arbiter. What are we trying to say here? They both sound the same to me. In other words, someone who does not sit in front of the television with a bag of Cheetos and a six pack of beer night after night, inhaling and believing the manufactured lies spewed out by fake stream media. And I think we all agree we need more free thinkers and less mindless automatons. And I think we're getting there. The signs are everywhere. You see, if you look around, we have fewer boobies and more newbies, and that's a good thing. But we must also accept that not everyone is going to wake up and smell the overpriced shade-grown small batch coffee. We've been through a lot, my little martini heads. We have been through a lot since, well, forever really, but I'm talking about since 2015. And since that time, the size and makeup of our social circles has changed. It's changed for all of us. It's time to let it go now. It's time to let it flow. It's time to say God is great, and so are we. Our social circles are changing. Because people are changing. What else do we have on today's show? Uh, I will probably squeeze in some poetry. 
and maybe a couple of weird and wacky tidbits from the anus of history. And of course, we will end the show with my favorite segment, The Cocktail of the Day. But before we move on to quack, questions, answers and comments, which is the meat of our show, let's take a moment to thank the people who make intergalactic distribution of the show possible. And who are they, Arnie? I'll tell you. Mystical Wares in Mount Vernon, Washington. They have crystals, polished rocks, clothing, jewelry, candles, incense, shungite gifts and more. Mystical Wares is the home of the Shungite beehives, and that means yummy honey. You can get a live video or a session. Now that sounds like a lot of fun, but even more fun and coming soon, and this is very exciting for Martini Heads, they will open up Bigfoot's Den, a family-friendly joint with coffee, with alcoholic beverages, dining, dancing, pizzas, huge cinnamon rolls, pool, darts, karaoke and lord only knows what else and that's going to be downtown in the city of cedro woolly the gateway to the north cascades so go to mysticalwares.com and check it out online or on location you'll be sure to give them a standing ovation and jolly lovely people they are too and who knows you might get to meet sasquatch at bigfoot's den all things are possible in this new world that's coming to be. And now I think we should probably get on with the show. Let's get on with the show. And let's start, as we nearly always do, with quack questions, answers, and comments. Let me shake up the fishbowl of perpetual perplexity and see what pops out. Shaky, 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 shaky. All righty, uh, this one, I'm going to have a sip of my drink. Hold on. Mm. 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 This is from Gavin from Oakland, California. I hope it's not Gavin Newsom. <laughs> Gavin Nuisance. I don't like you. Uh, this is from another Gavin, I hope, from Oakland, California, who writes, Dear Mad Shaman Ani, how do we apply what we have learned about prosperity consciousness when cash is banned and everything is digital? Well, that's a good question. That is a good question. I suspect that will come up a lot more. Gavin, I'm not sure we will see the elimination of actual cash in our lifetime. But if we do, the principles of prosperity consciousness remain the same. If we accept that everything outside source is a dreamscape, an illusion we made up in our minds, the actual physical nature of money becomes irrelevant. Whether we have coins and notes in our hands or numbers on a screen, as far as the energy behind it goes, the energy creating it, you know, it's the same. The only reason people have a problem with the elimination of cash is because the ones pushing for it are the evil corporate overlords who want total control over every aspect of our lives. In a world without immoral organizations such as IRS, a world run by spirit-centered administrators responsive to the needs of the people they represent, would it matter if we had cash? Right now, 
because the bad guys are pushing for it, we want to hold on to our cash. But say the good guys take over, and they will, and let's say the good guys abolish the IRS in favor of one fixed, fairly calculated uh, sort of flat tax. I don't see a problem. And at some point in the future, I think it's inevitable that the world will go digital. And that doesn't have to mean total control. Money is a very touchy subject. And it doesn't have to be, but it is. We equate it with self-worth. Money is great, in my opinion, and I would like to have as much of it as possible because to me it represents freedom, self-sufficiency, autonomy. It's not power over other people. It's not that I can go out and buy a whole bunch of rubbish that I don't need. It's just the freedom to run my life the way I want without asking anybody else for help. You know, abundance, prosperity consciousness, that's a state of mind. And it comes from awareness. Awareness of the bigger universal picture of the nature of unconditional love. People with an expansive cosmic mindset are better at being in the flow of all things. All things. And money is part of those things. Now, poverty consciousness is also a state of mind. It comes from living in a state of perpetual anxiety, projecting thoughts of scarcity, of lack, of limitation. If you want to boil it down to the base essence, having money and not having money are both illusions because the world is an illusion. And the world we experience today is part of an ego-programmed matrix. We need to really do some meditation and prayerful contemplation around our money issues. You know, I know I did, um, and it, it, it's been helpful. I think a useful jumping off point for money meditation or, or contemplation is the phrase, I am sustained by the love of God. I am sustained by the love of God. What exactly does that mean to me? I allow myself to breathe deeply and explore whatever comes up. You can word it differently if it helps. I have many people in my groups who, who don't like the word God, but they use other words for it because they understand the concept of God. You could say something along the lines of, I am sustained by a loving universe overflowing with abundance. Or the universe that created me supports me in all things at all times. The words create the vibration, so you choose the ones that suit you, but also choose carefully so the original intent is not lost. You might conclude that all money transactions are unnecessary expressions of ego. You might be right, or not. What kind of society, Gavin, do you want to see after all of this mess created by deep state ideology is cleared up. You know, it's just a thought, but why do we need to pay and get paid? 
how many people are told something along the lines of, oh my God, child, please don't waste your college years by studying English. The world doesn't need another English major. Or, oh, no, 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 you're not going to study art. That's so silly. Get a proper job and you can paint on the weekends. And how many people show up day after day to work in jobs they have little or no love for? And all because they need money, rent money, food money, and, you know, in America, medical insurance. These are things we should give serious thought to. What would it be like to live in a world where your inherent abilities were recognized and you were encouraged and supported in learning and honing the necessary skills? Can such a utopia exist? Is it workable? I'm not talking about socialism or communism, by the way. Those models are control devices created to destroy free thinkers. They never work. They're all rubbish. But can we engage in a little creative visualization? What does it mean to build a new world? I mean, we all have to be part of it. Other people shouldn't be in charge of being the architects of this new world. It's our world. We want to work, build a world where everyone becomes the best version of themselves because they follow not just some crazy dream, but their true calling. Would we need money? I mean, that type of a world, it's where ego programming has been overcome. Every skill set needed for a functional realm would be represented. Bakers would bake, brewers would brew, the farmers will farm, the cooks will cook, engineers will create things, and poets and writers and musicians will write and sing, and teachers will teach. Everyone does what they are called to do, and every trade needed to support the realm is represented. If we all supported each other like that, would we say that bread makers should be paid less than architects? Now, there's a point to ponder, and I recommend it as a prayerful contemplation. We tend to see things through our human eyes, don't we? But we can shift gears, and we can try to see through the eyes of the divine. And as we continue to shift gears, we stop thinking of God as something outside ourselves. We begin to understand that our perceived smallness is very much a part of the divine allness. Once we truly understand that we are extensions of the divine, our thoughts will change because our vantage point will change. No more silliness and pain and no more tragic because from that point on, it's all magic. So Gavin, there's some prayerful contemplation exercises for you. Enjoy. Let us know how it goes. And thank you for writing in, because that's a very pertinent question. Let's take another sip of my drinky poo-poo. Hold on. Um. <laughs> all right. I do like this job. I get to drink on the job, and it's all part of it. Let's take another email from this fishbowl. Let's shake it up a little bit. This one is from Phil in San Diego, California, who says, Ani, people are so fearful. They cannot absorb the information given to them. I see it all around. I see it in my friends, my family. I see it in my colleagues at work. It's everywhere. 
What can I do to help ease their pain? Now, Arnie, I want you to know I'm being selfish by asking this because they are pouring negativity into a world I am part of. And I don't want their fear polluting my world. And how do I talk to people who are so afraid to listen? Phil, I understand. I feel you, man. Yes, fear. There's a lot of it about. <laughs> and I agree, we should do something about it. So when people start to voice their fears, they tend to be anxious and they're sort of not focused, are they? They're all over the place. So I try to focus them. What exactly are you afraid of? Why does this make you afraid? How will it actually impact your life? And you'll get many responses. And you, I refuse to wear a mask. Yeah, me too. Well, I refuse to wear a mask and I might need medical care during the next lockdowns. Okay, fair enough. Then again, you might not need medical care during the next lockdown. So why are you frying your brains over a maybe situation? Well, if they ban cash, I will lose my under the table income. Maybe. Then again, maybe not. Why not have a conversation with people who have lived under a genuine communist regime where everything was very closely monitored? Even under Stalin, who was an absolute prick on crack, even under him, the black market thrived. There's no point in worrying about the presence of cash. We use cash to buy things we need, but there are other ways of getting the things we need. Bartering and trading, that can be done under the table and has been thus for thousands of years. Again, what does this all come down to? Ultimately, all fear comes from a sense of separation from source, and source is our true nature. Those who know they are one with source, those who live each day in that mindset, never experience fear, no matter the circumstances. A sovereign soul is always whole and will always find a way to overcome the challenges of the dreamscape. Phil, if you get them to settle down a little and address their fears one by one, why do you fear it? How will it impact your life? How can you avoid it? How can you work around it? People will see they're running around like headless chickens for no good reason. Everything has a solution. We just need to settle down and think it through. So instead of focusing on, oh my God, this is so scary, we should be asking how we can change it. And if we can't change it, how we can work around it. We have the power. But if you're not spirit-centered, fear will always be part of your life. And you'll never overcome ego programming. So be patient with your fearful friends right now, Phil. There is so much fear right now. I get it. People thought everything was hunky-dory. They thought America was a fabulous place, the home of the brave, the land of the free, and it was, and it shall be again. But now the corruption, the exposure, the filth of the cabal is in your face. 
and all of the people that defended that without knowing what it was that they were defended they don't feel very well right now they're nauseated by their own ignorance i guess we should cut them a break and help them we should all learn to be mini psychologists a little bit of grace it goes a long way says me the most direct and oftentimes impatient woman known to man but thank you phil for the question um we're all going through it and we all need help with that what else do we have in the fishbowl of perpetual perplexity this is from omit personal details who asks ani will our debts be wiped clean with nasara gasara ah wait where's my kazoo <laughs> no stop it all of you with this nasara gasara rubbish if you're running up your credit cards with the expectation that some benevolent force is going to come along and wipe out your entire personal debt load, you are mistaken. Forget all the BS written about Nasara by new age guru wannabes. That's not what it's all about. Nasara is an actual thing. It's a philosophy. It's about changing all financial systems in alignment with natural law. I think I'm going to have to do a cosmic conversation on this next year so check my website for details people have tried to implement such programs multiple times even in recent history it was tried on the clintons it was tried on the obamas but of course there's no difference between the clintons and the obamas but the cabal keep blowing up buildings or creating strange contagions as distractions every time the idea of nasara gasara Pasara Masara gains any traction. So let's put that on a back burner from now. You know, there will be changes, major changes, significant changes to all systems financial. I am quite sure we will have that almighty crash someday soon. The banks will crash and they will close down for however long they close down. This is inevitable because we are changing from upper third to lower fourth. And Boy, the bad guys are fighting back like there's no tomorrow and there isn't any tomorrow for them. So what have they got to lose? You know, the grid will go down. I expect a fair amount of chaos up to and including perhaps some version of civil war before we can even think of mopping up and rebuilding along the lines of all things fair and equitable. And I agree this is not a good time to get into debt. And this is not a good time to live beyond our means. And, um, you know, of course, thanks to the puppet administration under the fake Biden, we are all in debt and struggling to some extent just to get by. So forget all that. They're going to magically pay off all your debts. And let's just use this time as an exercise period in how to live within our means, no matter how meager they may be. This too shall pass. It's a pain in the arse, but it will pass. I thank you for the question. Omit personal details. Just don't go running up your charge cards because you will be sorry, my girl or my boy. I don't know. Here's a question from somebody called, it's hot in Arizona. Please send ice cubes. Um, I think we may have heard from you before under a different pseudonym. And this one says, Arnie. I refer to a recent cosmic conversation where you said that Satan was not a person. Can you expand on that, please? I can, but I need a sip of my drinky poo. Mm. Okay, slow down with the drinky poo, Ani. 
here's my take on it. I think I was talking about demons and deities and all that sort of thing. Um, here's my take on it. In my shaman law, L-O-R-E, Lucifer is the fallen archangel commonly called the devil. And Satan is the mindset mankind adopted after the Luciferian rift. So the mindset is what I refer to as ego programming. So Satan is the corruption of our mindset. That's the real adversary. The shadow self, the false alter ego. And we've discussed this on the show many times, but I'm just going to briefly recap. You know, the cabal, the Illuminati, the deep state heads, they worship Lucifer because Lucifer chose not to co-create with source energy once there was genetic material to play with. He played God. But of course, the issue was without source energy's unconditional love vibration, you can't create things. You need to find an alternative fuel source. And so the cabal chose fear because that's what Luciferian rift instilled in people. The opposite to everything's serene, which was fear and anxiety. That's why we're always saying to you guys, don't feed their fear. If they say, oh, you're going to die tomorrow if you don't wear a mask on your face to go to Costco. And you're going to die if you don't plug your ass with an anal plug because now the new contagion is going to go up your ass. Don't buy into any of that BS. Tell them, oh, that's rubbish. And they die because they can't eat your fear. Anyway, back to the question. Satan is referred to as the personification of evil and mankind's nemesis, blah, blah, blah. But it's not a person or a deity. It is the corruption of the mind. And I'm sure theologians will argue over this because academics argue over everything. But this is my belief system. And I don't believe everything I was taught. But this rings true to me. The devil has been given many names over the years by various cultures. You know, there's Baphomet, Baal, Baal-Zebub, um, Mephistopheles, Sadhana, and I mean, so many more, you know, and people will argue, well, are these the servants of Lucifer? Or are they other aspects of Lucifer? Are they demons? To me, it's a moot point. When we fight evil, we're not fighting a big red man with horns, with a long forked tongue and a trident to poke you in the arse with. Demons as such, documented or undocumented, do not exist. We are not fighting entities and personalities here. We have created these beings out of thin air, just as we create everything else out of thin air. So when you read some of the ancient scriptures, it becomes obvious that some of these so-called demons were actually probably extraterrestrials, terrorizing beings of lesser value on lesser evolved planets. Or they just got made up really along the line by religious people who decided that they had to give names to some of these terrible things that people were doing. They didn't want to blame their sexual appetites or, uh, or you know, all of their sinning on, on themselves and the ignorance of their own personalities. But no, it must be a demon, you know? I mean, when people have sexual issues, they blame it on incubus or succubus, but that's crazy. The problem is in the head and in the heart. 
We are at war with ourselves because we refuse to acknowledge that we are not separate from the divine in any shape or form. So we should stop looking for shapes and forms to blame for our ignorance, for our confusion, for our problems. In years gone by, as I am a little older now, in years gone by, people would come to me to remove Satan from inside them or some other demon. And in days gone by, I would do it because it brought them peace of mind and it brought me a nice fat check. But I no longer engage in such self-centered silliness. And that said, I am trained in demonology, and I will tell you right now, it should not be a subject for academic study. Learning the history, the folklore is all well and good, and I do love general knowledge. But all these people saying that they are, you know, being plagued by demons and giving them names and doing strange rituals, it's all very silly, really. And yes, you can make these things very, very powerful. But... It's really very silly. How else can I put it? You know, once the contagion has been released, does it matter if we kill the person who created it? I mean, in today's world, yes, we would like to hold all the people accountable who purposefully created diseases designed to compromise mankind. Um, but if we do that, does it stop the contagion? No. No, we deal with the contagion at large. The contagion is now out there. Lucifer did the rift. We have created fear and all of its secondary emotions and sub-secondary emotions and tertiary emotions and whatever. He created it. Fear is the contagion and fear and its many secondary emotions. The cure is union with our true nature. Source, creator, I am. The allness, supreme cosmic intelligence. Pick your own description. Fighting Satan means holding ourselves accountable for our actions and making the necessary corrections, refining our personalities, which in turn allows the spirit to inhabit the human and achieve the serenity that is divine union, the peace that surpasses, surpasses, I was trying to say surpasseth, but I got confused, the peace that surpasses all understanding. That's what Satan is to me, the adversary, the ego programming. No one needs an exorcism. They need spiritual literacy and more time in prayerful contemplation. We need to stop clutching at straws and engage in honesty of self. Only then will we as a race overcome mental illness, which today is at an all-time high. Whew. Time for a sip of my drink? I think so. Thank you. Mm. Don't mind if I do. Let's take another email from the fishbowl. And this one is from Candice in Ashland, Oregon. Oh, yeah, been there many times. Very nice little town. Lots of lovely restaurants and wine bars. Um, it was sort of a new agey feel to it, but um, I'll forgive them that because the wine bars are lovely. And Candice in Ashland, um, who's visiting Ashland, who doesn't live in Ashland, says, I have taken a million and one courses in all things new age. And I can't say they've all been duds, but I haven't felt the deep core shift I thought I would experience. Where have I gone wrong? Have I missed something? Others seem to be far, I'm trying to read this, hang on. Um, yeah, others seem to be further ahead. 
they seem to be more enlightened. I want to fit in, but I can't fit in. And the more I learn, the less I know, and the more I study, the more lost I am. What am I doing? I've lost all track. And then she writes a whole thing about how does one define one's core moral values and, okay, Candace, I'm not going to read all of this because it's really long um, and um, all over the place, uh, rather like my mind. But darling, let, let's take a look at this, okay? Deep change requires that we look deep within. Learning is, is lovely reading, studying, doing workshops, meeting like-minded people, that's lovely. But I think perhaps, because I don't know you, <laughs> all I know about you is from this letter, but perhaps you're doing too much and not observing enough. And I really do think that you probably can identify your core moral values. Transformation is an ongoing process, darling. We will plateau and we will rest from time to time, but you know, the universe will nudge us forward when it's time. Perhaps instead of observing others, we should observe the self. Try this. Because, you know, the opinion of others, you say other people are more evolved than you. How do you really know that? People are very good at making all the right noises. You know, the opinions of others can be useful on occasion, but it's not as important as your opinion. You know, don't compete with others. Each day, instead of competing with others, seek to be a better version of yourself. An honest, objective evaluation of the self is one of the golden keys to success. You know, you don't want to be a prisoner in your own body, in your own mind, and stop comparing yourself to others. We use our physical senses to observe the environment. Yes, that's external observation. And we use internal observation when we observe what's going on inside us. So start a sort of protocol, a daily ritual, something of quietly paying attention to your psychological state, to your moods, how you feel and, and, and what has influenced them. And if you feel blocked, you know, what are you currently identifying with? How is your perception coloring your vision? You know, the key of, of course, the key is always in how we react to situations, not in what actually happens to us. So this is a different type of awareness. It's not awareness per se. Internal and external observation lead to awareness. And remember, there's no such thing as outer awareness, right? It's all inner awareness. There's a whole universe, a different concept of what is going on in the mind of every single person in the entire cosmos. So we're changing, but we don't always know what we're going to change into. And that's fine, and it doesn't always have to be painful. But honest, objective self-observation shows us where we are in our consciousness. We have to illuminate our minds. We have to illuminate our souls. We have to be open to allowing the light to shine. So there's a couple of exercises that I do with my students, and I, I do with, with myself. Um, and I got these from one um, Mr. Gurdjieff, who I think most of you have heard of. Uh, it's an ancient practice which was reworked by him. He didn't invent any of these things. Um, it's called the stop exercise. So as you go about your day doing whatever it is that you do, every so often, just stop. And by stop, I mean freeze in place. Hold your position. 
hold your facial expression and hold the thought that is in your head. And then give it three minutes. Why is it useful? Because by repeating this exercise many times, we come to see how we behave and how we think. You may think you're thinking something, but your mind might be somewhere else when you freeze it in place. You may think that you stand tall, but when you take a look at your body in front of the mirror, you might go, oh my God, I look like a symbian. And your facial expression that you think is calm and cool has a little air of angst to it. So conscious observation of self is a very liberating exercise. But it has to be done objectively, as with all exercises, or it has no value. Don't be harsh with yourself. Don't criticize yourself. All these things put you in a negative state of mind because the goal for us is to make corrections and to align. Never speak negatively about yourself, not even in jest. Now, remember here, we are observing. Don't fall into the trap of um, judging or even more self-justification. Like, oh, well, I mean, I, I thought I was standing tall, but, you know, I put my back out the other day, so this, it doesn't matter. What we're doing is just freezing in place for three minutes or so. And how do we look? What's the expression on our face? What's our posture? What is in our mind? It's a simple observation. It's like getting to know you, getting to know your own self, and no one's around to witness anything that you might be embarrassed by. In all of these self-observation lessons, it's just you and God. So, you know, let's try to maintain a sense of humor. Let's try not to overthink. Let's try not to overcomplicate things. Let's try not to take ourselves too seriously. You know, when we're focused on self-observation, a great deal of internal work takes place. So just try that exercise. If you want any more details on it, by all means, do contact me. But that's really what it's all about. And you're saying, you know, you don't fit in. Darling, the world will never change if we keep trying to fit in. Conform should never be the norm. We're manifestations of cosmic energy, divine potential in action. Our personalities are characters we've chosen to play in this game of life. They don't define us, per se. They're vehicles we've chosen for our Earth adventure. And yes, we have ancestral coding and we have to filter everything through that. The souls have to operate all through that. But it doesn't mean we can't outgrow and develop beyond the coded program of the ancestral lines we have chosen. You don't have to fit in. All you have to bear in mind is to thine own self, be true, and then let that true self grow. You know, to understand the power contained within the statement, you must come to terms with the true self. The true self is the soul. It can never be destroyed. It is pure cosmic energy. It takes on many forms, many identities, and has many adventures in many locations. To thine own self be true means enjoying our current chosen identity while knowing we are part of something greater. This is how character is developed. 
And this is why we strive to be the best versions of ourselves. Our greatness calls to us. Oh, it inspires us. It guides us. Aligned with source, we are Jedis with the force. Alone and lost, we are drones, not the boss. If we all got this and we lived it, we wouldn't be in the feeble-minded little world that we live in today, would we? A feeble-minded little world where people eat up every morsel fed to it by the main media matrix, accepting without hesitation the official narrative as truth. You know, if you don't own your mind, then that mind is a useful pawn in the propaganda wars. Don't be a useful idiot. Don't try to conform. Don't compare yourself to others. You know, you ask in your letter, I don't know the purpose of life. Well, I don't want to oversimplify it, but the purpose of life is adventure. How many worlds can we co-create? How many life forms can we co-create? How much trouble can we get ourselves into before we wake up and remember our true nature? That's why we incarnate. Well, why do we incarnate if we're perfect at the core? Do you know how boring it is to be perfect? I mean, I don't because I'm not perfect. But at some, actually I am. My true nature is perfect. Ani Avedisian is not perfect. You're not perfect. But our true nature is perfect. How boring to be this ball of perfection floating around a cosmos that hasn't even been discovered or created yet. Oh, I'm perfect. Oh, I'm perfect. Of course you're perfect. You haven't done anything yet. Go out on a few cosmic space adventures. Then you can see how easy it is or not. We're pure cosmic energy. Yes, Big Bang, pre-string theory, whatever. But you know, we were created to expand consciousness. You can't do that. You can't do that if you're just sitting at home on your parents' sofa. You can't do that if all you're doing is comparing yourselves to others. We've got to leave base camp. We've got to start the adventure. Now you, darling, are doing all these courses and learning everything, and that is just wonderful. But you're still asking me, what are my core moral values? Well, what is a core value? A fundamental idea, a belief, a practice through which we conduct all aspects of our lives, personal and professional. What is morality? A system or collection of ideas, individual or societal, for right and wrong conduct. A core moral value, therefore, is a fundamental idea, belief or practice through which you conduct all aspects of your life, believing it to be correct or incorrect conduct. Is morality relative? No. In today's world, they would say it's selective. But no, deep down in your gut, you know what is right and you know what is wrong. Stop going to classes. Seriously, stop going to classes for a while. Stop reading. Take a little vacation. Go to the beach or go to the mountains, something like that. And just sit down with a cup of tea and say to yourself, to mine own self, I am true. What does that mean? I am as perfect as the moment of my creation. What does that mean? I am sustained by the love of God. What does that mean? You've got all this knowledge. In order to turn it into wisdom, you have to distill the essence within you and align that with source. Darling, you take a nice big chill pill and everything is going to be just fine. Thank you very much for writing in. 
Um, thanks for everyone. Thanks to everyone for writing in. If you would like to share the contents of your amazing and marvelous minds with Martini Heads Everywhere, send your emails to me, Arnie at ArnieAvidician.com or by snail mail to Cosmic Arnie, P.O. Box 714, Wilsonville, Oregon, 97070, USA. And don't forget to tell me if and how you would like to be identified, or I shall refer to you as omit personal details. And now, my darlings, I think we should have a little poem, because at the end of the day, what is there to do but come home, put the kettle on, or make yourself a nice drinky poo, and then put your feet up and write some very silly poetry. And some of mine is silly, most of mine is silly, occasionally I write something really brilliant. Uh, what I'm going to read to you is nowhere near brilliant, but I'm going to read you two little poems I wrote at the very beginning of this whole COVID New World Order takeover BS. And let's see how they stand up, because I still feel this way. Of course, we do. I mean, if you still, after three and a half years of all of this, think that everything's fine and you're going to go and put on a mask tomorrow when the television tells you to, oh, God, people, really? Uh. So this one is called, oh, it's untitled, but I'll come up with something. Here we go, written three and a half years ago. The masks are a symbol of servitude. I do not wish to be rude, but if you cannot entertain this concept, they have washed your brain. Your perception is skewed. In reality, there is no spike in mortality, which, needs, which means no pandemic. Yet you accepted this insane abnormality without question, without research, academic. There would be different protocols in place if it was so deadly and we were potential carriers. Who makes the money from this scam? Vaccine manufacturers and the people who make plexiglass barriers. Do you enjoy living life as a feeble-minded minion? Allowing, nay, inviting the establishment to dictate your opinion? It would take Delta Force to breach the capital perimeters, yet they somehow convinced you it was done by a bunch of oddly dressed amateurs. If you applaud censorship and the abolition of God-given free speech, check yourself out for concussion. This type of bootlicking is evidence of more than just a partial cranial breach. They've done a number on you, the lords of propaganda. We try to share the truth. You repost with ridicule and slander. When this is done and over, and the dark ones throw in the towel, let's have a little conversation about not confusing your brains with your bowels. I might have been a little angry when I wrote that, but I think we can lighten it up a little bit with a rewrite, don't you think? But, or maybe not. That's how I felt, and that's still how I feel. There's another very short one I wrote, uh, again, three and a half years ago, or more, perhaps, but definitely at the beginning of the whole COVID thing. Um... It doesn't have a title yet, but it will. Here goes. Almost everything written in science fiction novels are presented today as modern day models. Almost everything written in novels dystopian today overwrites any future utopian. 
There is, I believe, but one story missing, the one the media will surely be dismissing. Three years from now, maybe three and a half, we will see the effects of the false golden calf. How so, some will ask, while wearing a mask? Please explain, since I find thinking a disagreeable task. One day, we will walk out and see large groups of zombies. For the mark of the beast is a primed time release bombie. That's not bad, if I say so myself. And we were right. Of course we were right. We were right. Because people who didn't suddenly drop dead, God rest all your souls, have developed these turbo cancers and heart issues and strange rashes and strange neurological diseases and strange diseases and dysfunctions, bodily and mental, of various different types. And the hospitals are like, what is the matter with these people? We can't diagnose any of this stuff. We've never seen this stuff before. If you're still one of the doctors who knows what you've done and what you've supported, and you're not speaking out because, well, you have to protect your family with your massive paycheck or whatever, come clean now because what's awaiting you later on is going to be very, very unpleasant. We do, thank the Lord, now have a mini epidemic of whistleblowers. The cabal will fall under the weight of its own dysfunction. Thank God, because all the little turtles are leaving the table and letting everything collapse. But if you have done wrong, even in the beginning, if you didn't know you were doing wrong, but now you realize it, for heaven's sake, speak out and be part of the awakening. Don't just go, oh, I hope nobody finds out that I unwittingly or wittingly was part of the great genocide of mankind. The illumination is coming in really strongly, people. Nobody gets away with anything. In the greater context of things, no one gets away with anything. It's all in the Akashic Records. But if you have been part of great evil in this lifetime, and you have now seen the light, come forward to the light and blow the whistle. Because even if you are arrested and even put against the wall and shot. It is a much better death and a more merciful death that you will have at the hands of a loving and merciful God than you will ever get at the hands of your Luciferian overlords. And with that, my darlings, I think we should lighten the mood a little bit. Let me have a little drink. Mm. Mm. That is such a nice drinky poo. You know, my darlings, we are coming up to the end of the show. Now, we're not quite there yet, but it is that time coming up. I'm going to finish my drink in a minute and I'm going to say goodbye to you all. But I know and I do hope you enjoyed our time together because I can't tell you how much I look forward to this. Every other Wednesday is when we go out live. I know you all get it on uh, Castos, Mastos, Spotify, Deezer, Beezer, Geezer, Weezer, and all of your, you know, your favorite platforms. Um, but I just so look forward to this. Here I am in my little office in Wilsonville, Oregon, talking to hopefully thousands of like-minded people all over the world. And that energetic connection seeping into the subconscious of the world, I, it's just wonderful. Even if you can't consciously hear me, I somehow feel that my words are going out there and nudging the people on the fence and just 
plop, they go off the fence, ploppity plop, off the fence, into the light. And then after a little shock of, oh my God, she was right, we regroup and we rebuild this new world together. Now, today's real life cocktail was definitely a winner. And it's a large batch cocktail if you want to make it. But you know what? I just did it as one portion today. And it's called a Pim's Cup. Now, for those who don't know, Pim's Cup is a perfect summertime drink. It is a quintessential British cocktail. It's very bright. It's very thirst quenching. It doesn't have a lot of alcohol in it, which is very good for the summer. Um, and this particular version, you can make in just a highball glass. You don't even need a shaker. And what is PIMS? It is gin-based, and it has uh, botanicals in it and fruit and spices and whatever. But uh, you can add a little extra gin to it if you want. You don't need to. So this is a classic PIMS cup, number one cocktail, credited to James PIM. And James Pym owned an oyster bar in London in the eight, uh, mid-1800s, I think it was, yes. And he sold a lot of punches, alcoholic drinks, with the fish. And this is one of them. So you take yourself a nice highball glass and you put a two, two good ounces of Pym's number one into it. Now, I also add half an ounce to one ounce of extra London dry gin. You don't have to. Um, and so I put that on top of the pims. And then I add about two and a half, three ounces of ginger beer. I prefer ginger beer to ginger ale. Then I throw in a cucumber slice and a nice big fresh sprig of mint. What is that, about six to seven leaves? So, you know, you put all that into the glass and garnish it and take a swizzler and just give it a swizzle. Don't overdo it. And then you drink it and you sip it and it's absolutely lovely. Now remember folks, cocktails are great if they are an occasional treat. If you use top quality ingredients and take the art of mixology seriously, one drink is all you need. And I'm gonna repeat that because Many depressed people out there today, and alcohol is legal in America if you're over 21. Um, I've been through periods in my life where I drank too much. I have friends who have done the same thing. Let's just keep it together, people, and just not drink too much so that we can enjoy a perfectly mixed cocktail. I am I mad as the day is long, Avidician. This was a Metaphysical Martini, a production of Cosmic Reality Radio, to whom we are most grateful, smoochie-woochie, until we meet again. Don't give your money to organizations that cower before New World Order. Let's form a brigade of Minutemen and secure the American border. Call out corruption wherever you see it. And above all, my darlings, let the spirit inhabit the human. You have been listening to The Metaphysical Martini with Ani Alpatisian, The Mad Shaman, a production of CosmicReality.com.